Hello, welcome back. So this is Collapse Talk, and I'm glad to have you here with me um, with everything that's been happening. You know, just some stuff happening with my life and also just in the world, and I feel like this is a good time to record. So there's a lot to talk about this episode. A lot has happened. Yeah, so I mean, we're just going to have to, you know, just unravel that. At the very least, uh, you know, opening now with this... uh, information this uh segment that i like to or you know the, the sequences that i like to divide by their domestic international and the natural events that have been happening around the world and there's a lot that i'll talk today at the very least though i do want to open up and uh just let y'all know about my life and the things that i try to do just to support myself because you know i try to it's a lot. I, I I do so much, and lately it just feels like it just it just feels like I'm fighting this uphill battle. But of course, you know it's the collapse, so everything is in decline. But it's just like I, I'm really trying to hold out. And you know, I've been talking about this remote job that I landed. That would have been a good a uh, good you know development you know career wise. You know, it's just to support myself, and it's like this super like corporate like. Uh, really official job and they sent me this equipment because it's uh there's a work computer that I have to work out of for security data reasons and they only require ethernet connection and so i have to get like this 20 foot cord because that's the only way that I can connect it to my router and i'm uh trying to get set up and i don't know what it is it's just there's a connectivity problems that i'm trying to because there's like a vpn that i have to log into before i can even like start the computer like it's just i don't know what to do i've been calling support like at this point they're just telling me to get a new cord which i don't think is going to fix anything and i could very very likely lose this position you know i've been not i've been out of work for almost three months now and I, you know, something that I, I don't know what to do and I'm calling support, we do these reboots all the time. I we did a whole factory reset. You know, I tr- I wanted to like, I don't know, because I, I don't know too much about the computer stuff. I, I, I'm trying to like activate some command prompt. Maybe this is like an antivirus sort of deal. I, I don't know what to do. I, I'm really trying. And this is just a constant theme in my life. That there's something, I'm, I'm doing what I can, I'm doing everything right, and then there's just something there. One little hurdle that is, that could very easily just like unravel my whole life. All this work that I've been doing. I mean, I was living out of my car, like not a year ago today, actually. I was living out of my car because I just, I needed a break and I had to run away and just, just get my thoughts together. Because like, there's only so much that you can live with. To, to where like you're just like I, I gotta get I gotta get away from this and then I you know I said okay I'll swallow my pride actually um because like you know living on the road and home living homeless that's what I was doing even though I was like going out in and out of motels you know I, it wasn't a bad experience I mean I was still living pretty comfortably I, I had DoorDash stuff but yeah I mean it was it was still a stressful experience and I was like grinding my teeth like um because, you know, I had lockjaw. That's why I had to come back because I was, like, in real pain. I'm explaining a lot, but I'm just, like, trying to bring context because 
you know, people told me to go back. They told me to go back home and continue with school and try to find work. And I'm like, okay. And I, I'm doing exactly that. I'm doing what I can. Because Lord knows, you know, when you apply for these jobs, they make it like the most, like, complicated. Like this this whole, uh, trying to start up this job, three months. Because, like, I'm still, like, doing, like, uh, like diversity training, like sexual harassment stuff. I'm still in that phase, which isn't even, like, the work. Now that I can't log into this computer, this uh, company computer, I, I like, it's just, like, I, I can't go back and start applying for work and then go maybe, like, a whole nother month without hearing a response. Like, I need to work now, man. I'm fucking poor. I need to work now. I want to work. It's like, like, God damn it. Like, I, I want to fucking, like, start knocking on people's doors. Like, please... Give me a job. I'll do anything. Holy shit, man. And then no. Oh no. You're just gonna get turned down. And then and then if all this work that I've been doing just falls apart because of this technical problem that I can't control, now people are gonna start talking about me again. People are gonna start pointing the finger and looking at me. Like, what the fuck is he doing? It's just I'm trying. I really am. I feel like crying. I'm really trying to like contain myself because it's just like I'm trying so hard. It's just too much. I, I don't know how I like, can. How does anybody live like this, man? And then, of course, people who've never had to deal with this stuff, they just think they know better. And they just look at you. What the fuck? Like, I don't work. Very, very interesting that people who call my work ethic into question have never actually seen me work. They've never seen me work. Very, very interesting, huh? But of course, because... These fucking yuppies, these fucking suburbanites, they just, they need somebody to look down on. And they hate the poor, they hate the homeless, right? Yeah, man, it just sucks. You know, when you have a society that is inherently dehumanizing, like, what a surprise. It really creates, like, really bitter attitudes uh, amongst those that are disaffected, right? That are doing the best that they can i mean like i'm doing what i can and it's just like and there's like there's no break there's no break at all nobody can just say hey man i actually see the work that you're doing and i see how the toll that it's taking on you just focus on school i got your back you know do a part-time gig but i got your back that's all i need right now and it's just so hard it's just so hard so, you know, that's why I'm opening up with this stuff because I'm like, you know, because not only is this like a commentary show, it's almost like a, a vlog, a personal blog. But it's just like, I, I really do, I, I try not to, I don't like advertising um, the, the Patreon because I want to work. I, I want a job. But at the same time, it's like there's only so much that you can live with and put up with. So I do highly encourage uh, checking out, checking out my Patreon and again, I only like all I need, like just a dollar. That's it. <laughs> like, and, you know, I'm still going to, of course, do work. I want to work. I, 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 I like working, but it's just like I need help. I need do. I need help. I can't move back in with my family. It's just that's not something I can do. I, and, and honestly, like I wouldn't be afraid of living out of my car again. It's just like. I got like registration issues now. So, of course, I don't want to deal with some cop looking at my stickers. And then that's a whole nother issue. It's like po poverty is a fucking death sentence, man. It really is. Like I'm poor. Just being, just being straight up. I'm really poor. And I have certain people that can help me. 
that just don't want to. They pretend like they can't, but it's just they don't want to because for some reason suffering is just good for me. It's just like, this is like torture, man. I feel like a hamster that's like uh, being like poked and prodded and like being tortured and played with. It's just like, my God, man, what, what did I do in my life that was so egregious and so terrible that I have to like struggle and like fight for my life just to get through school, man. I got people who like look down on me because it's taken like I'm 26 and I still don't have a bachelor's degree. And it's still like they've never had to live the way that I live and what I've had to experience. You know, of course, you know, when people's lives are good for them, like it's just like, oh, well, things are good for me and I don't have to think about anybody else. And then, of course, I, I don't know, man, I'm just so I'm so tired, you know. I'm really tired, I, I, and I work so much, and yeah, this is going to be a common thread now, because like there's a lot of people who post online about the woes right now, like things are bad, this can't continue, this can't continue, man, this is so, this is so sad that we have to live like this, and it doesn't have to be like this at all, but people have their head up their ass. You know, people have their head up their ass and they don't. And then because things are good for them now. But of course, we are going to have another crisis, another crash. And all these people who think that they can just look down on the poor and the homeless, they're going to watch all their, their, you know, the 401k, all these like different like investments, just like like that, just gone. All these people that thought that they were good and they were part of the rich, like it's just. I don't know, man. It's just like, wow. Uh, anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm just like, I'm trying to explain myself and try to express some thoughts because I I don't, because I, like the fact that I'm losing this job that uh, very likely because of some technical connection problem that I, it's just like, I don't know what to do. And the support doesn't even know what to do either. It's like, wow. And then I'm going to have people again Telling me, oh, get a job. Even when literally I had a job. <laughs> and then something like, <laughs> again, it's just like, I just want to get yelled at. I don't want to be disrespected anymore. I don't want to be insulted. I don't want to be, I don't want to be belittled. It's just so hard. Anyway, I don't mean to be so sad but like this right now. It's just too much. But at the very least, I can... Because this show is like what gives me a sense of purpose. So, um, so just talking at least with uh, domestic problems. Because, yeah, I mean, things, things are bad right now. And, again, people are just like, just, they, they, I don't know. It's like, a, it's like a dreamland. It's like, you know, it's like. People are afraid of their own shadows. It's like the most obvious things that are happening that they don't think about. And then like you say like, oh, yeah, by the way, like, did you hear about this? What? Like, it's just wow. Anyway, because I want to talk at least with um, with regard to. Well, OK, well, because bef before I go into the domestic stuff, because there are some like other uh, issues that have happened or just events really like say the death of queen elizabeth right i was going to talk about some about some uk uh economic woes but 
I'll at the very least uh, talk about uh, some developments with the death of Queen Elizabeth, which is, yeah. And actually, like, with the UK, like, they just had that one of their, their new prime minister trusts. So they had a new prime minister, and then the queen died. And now we have King Charles III. Yes. Oh, yes. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. It's a silly place, the UK. And then, of course, now people are very much like just saying, like, I don't care. It's like, like, yeah, Queen Elizabeth was like the the Anglosphere's grandma, right? The, the Western world's grandma. Everybody looked up to her and, oh, she has this. She has this quiet dignity. Oh yes, she she has this quiet dignity, and she held the country together. It's, you know, it's so funny just the way people were like talking and reminiscing, and it's very clearly just like, you know, the British Empire. Oh, yes, sort of. Like no joke. Like all these conservative like speakers were talking like, oh yes, the the British Empire is the most benign force, the most benign empire in history. Oh really? Then why did we secede again? Why did... Oh, no, not we. I keep saying we, but that's not my history. Why Why did the Founding Fathers uh, secede again? Well, what, what reason? <laughs> yeah, like I, I saw this commentary where was people were like, conservative, American conservatives, when they had to choose between white supremacy and American patriotism, they chose white supremacy. Because obviously, it's like, oh, the Western world is attacked, white men are attacked. Oh, well... Now we have to protect, we have to defend the British Empire. It's just like, wow. Yeah, man, that was just a wild day. Just, you know, seeing the Queen die and, and the reaction that people were having, especially among the formerly colonized nations, say like Nigeria and India, Ireland, right? <laughs> Everybody's just like dunking on the empire. So that was just a great day to see, you know, the world come together to reminisce over the dead British Empire, the dead queen. And now we have the king. Fuck the king. <laughs> so, yeah, man. That happened. And another world leader died too. Gorbachev. Gorbachev died. And, of course, the left came together for that since Gorbachev uh, this basically like just uh, sabotaged the Soviet Union. I mean, it was already in the climb from the other revisionists, but yeah, you know, it's just interesting to see everybody, like all these like world leaders like croaking and everybody's like, come on, Kissinger, let's go. Like, so yeah, that's, um, yeah, so that was, uh, interesting to happen. And yeah, with the UK and with this new king, not that, I mean, like, of course they have political influence, but it's just like, well, what, what direction is the UK going to go? And of course, they had um today actually they had I'm recording the twelfth and uh, September twelfth, and today they had a funeral procession, public procession with uh, Prince Andrew at attendance, and some kid heckled Prince Andrew and everybody like I mean there's been like multiple protests at certain uh, events and they cracked down on that and so. Like, it wasn't even, like, the cops. Like, it was, like, some random, like, civilian, like, some, some fucking, some fucking, you fucking wanker. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just some random fucking royalist just, like, dragged this kid. 
So it's like, man, this is such a weird, like, weird thing that's happening. Weird tradition. Because, <laughs> like, people were chanting, God save the king! God, yes, sir, God save the king! Like, what the fuck, bro? This is so weird. Man, this is a... Yeah, like, they even had, um, like, a proclamation made. I think it was uh, either Edinburgh, like, somewhere in the in scotland and people were booing it they're like oh yes god save king charles the third boo like yeah so people aren't too happy right now especially at the idea of the royalist and the monarchy and i think now we're going to see a, a more push of abolishing the monarchy becoming more mainstream because i think like as i said you know she's like the nation's grandma right so it's like okay she's nice and little sweet and okay we don't want to cause too much trouble because like they don't want to upset you know this sweet old little lady but now that it's king charles and people are going to be like fuck the king like <laughs> so hopefully that uh comes to pass because yeah man it's just silly it's like it's just silly and of course people try to defend it oh they do philanthropy oh come on it's just so silly like what the fuck because it's some like ancient like divine right well of course like with you know it's england is a constitutional monarchy but it's like they're talking about oh but you see because they had the magna carta dude the magna carta was signed because all these nobles they they didn't want the king to you know it was the king john it, like they didn't want him to be like stepping on them so they rebelled and forced him to sign it so like even this uh so-called constitutional monarchy like it only came to pass because the people said, hey, like, we'll fucking kill you. And they, they did. Like, they killed the king before the French did in the French Revolution. So, <laughs> it's like all these so-called, like, again, like, they're defending the British Empire thinking that, like, oh, well, we see because we have all these legal traditions because of the so-called British. But it's like, bro, that happened because people, like, rebelled and killed the king. That's how we have all these, uh, you know, that's why they have the parliament, right? That's, yeah. So, yeah so that's that um and uh of course i'm going to talk more about uh certain uh problems and issues uh in the uk that's for later right now i want to talk at least just you know the first part of the show with uh, domestic problems in the u.s domestic developments so i'm going to read from politico and this is concerning the recent speech from joe biden you know the the so-called like controversial like oh he's a he's a dictator oh yeah it, and it's actually interesting too like there was like i think nbc abc like they didn't even play the speech so it's like there was even among like certain liberals they were like oh i don't like this kind of uh talk and for and so you know first it started this controversy where it started where uh, he just he made a really tepid uh, like just comment remark like saying like oh I'm just concerned with the rise of these semi-fascists within the Republican Party these Trump idealists that's what he said he didn't say all Republicans he just said the Trump radicals and then all these conservative speakers are like oh my god I can't believe you would smear us like that and you know this is becoming really polarizing and dangerous language yeah the people who are threatening civil war because Trump is getting investigated <laughs> Oh, I can't believe you're being so divisive and you're you're stoking hatred. Like, wow, it's just wow. Um, and uh, 
So that was earlier. And then they officially made, you know, Biden made this speech you know, with the backdrop of you know, this red and blue, like, you know, lighting, you know, really, you know, the dark Brandon. Like, I don't care too much about that meme, but, you know, that was people were saying like this is similar aesthetic and they had like Marines and oh, my God, this is such a break from tradition. Oh, how dare how dare Joe Biden? <laughs> and uh, Yeah, he, he just basically said, you know, Joe Biden in his speech is talking about how the MAGA, like, Trump uh, supporters with this cult of personality is uh, tainting the Republican Party. I mean, because, like, Joe Biden has, like, pretty much, like, been open saying, like, oh, yeah, no, I still, like, right, he was talking about, like, oh, yeah, you know, I would talk to segregationists and we'd be having lunch together. So it's just, like, I don't know what happened to the Republican Party. It's just so funny, like, but, yeah, a lot of these, like, um, establishment democrats like they want they want a, a republican party they just don't want this new radical strain that's taken hold because it's a populist sort of thing because these republicans have catered to a specific group that now they've because they, they've, they've completely radicalized this group with like all this propaganda and um radicalism from say like fox news and all these other media outlets and so the Republican Party now has this voter base that is just completely off the off its rocker. Like, it's just off the chain, like, losing its mind, okay? And just to be very straight up, it's just, you know, white supremacist, nationalism. You know, you have blue-collar workers who are, like, watching all this, like, their life savings drain away. And it's like, of course, the Republicans aren't going to say who it's really at fault. So they're going to blame the poor. And immigrants, just the other trans people, right? Gay people. And it's like, it's a cycle. <laughs> the Republicans are trapped in this cycle. So, of course, the, the, their voter base is going to become more and more radical. Okay? Because, I mean, what a surprise. And, like, all these districts, these, like, these local elections that, 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 like, are, you know, becoming more and more polarized and radical. Like, the ones who end up winning the primaries are these, like, crazy-ass, like, because like they're they're called because they have rhinos right that's a term that the MAGA people use so it's like Republican in name only, and then rhino hunters and so like there was like this guy I mean he lost his election but like this is gonna be a new trend now where uh, they're gonna be saying stuff like that like I'm a rhino hunter rah. like yeah so anyway and uh, uh, yeah I mean okay because I hear this engine from my neighbor I got this neighbor now. Who has this loud ass engine and like I fucking hate him so much. Like holy shit. Cause like it's so obnoxious. And it's not even like a pickup truck. It's like this Dodge SUV. So I'm just like, holy shit. Like it's just attention seeking behavior. Like, wow. And then like he starts it up like early in the morning and then like it scares my cat. And like, wow. Uh, you know, it's just like I don't know why people are like this man it's just like you, you see certain people and it's just like why why do you exist but okay he turned it off I, i'm sorry that i got on a tangent there but it's just like it's not only him too like i have other people that i live around they just have loud ass cars just like it's just so obnoxious man really anyway i'm gonna get back to what i was saying so yeah biden did this speech and so people are saying, oh, this is, this, I, I, I can't, I can't, but yeah, they're just, 
upset about it. So I'm reading from Politico, and uh, they're just like making their observations and also talking with uh, people. So, you know, uh, they're saying, quote, uh, aides said that Biden had been planning to give a version of Thursday, Thursday night's address since the, this past June. Aid said that Biden had been planning to give a version of Thursday night's address since this past June, relaying he wanted to speak on what he saw in, as increasingly grave threats to the nation's democracy. But events, events continued to get in the way of its delivery. Pressure built over the past few weeks, they said, amid a number of developments. GOP primary victories of a number of 2020 election-denying candidates in state and federal contests, combined with the consolidation of support around Trump, jolted the White House. Biden told associates that he barely recognized the Republican Party, which he uh, could once work, seeing a personality cult instead. So, of course, he's like lamenting. He's like, oh, man, why don't recognize the... I don't recognize where these things have gone. When, yeah. So I'm just going to continue a little further because they're, they're talking about the FBI raid against Trump. And of course, you know, you have people calling, you know, for violence. And yeah, it's just crazy. Um, right. Uh, Biden's speech landed hard within a relatively brisk 25 minutes. He declared that, quote, equality and democracy are under assault and quote, that it did the country, quote, no favor to pretend otherwise and that too much of what is happening in our country today is not normal. His defenders lauded him for speaking blood truths. His critics accused him of stoking very uh, divisions he was decrying. Jim Dornan, a longtime Republican operative and member of an anti-Trump wing of the party, said, while the former president and his allies are giving Biden plenty of evidence to back the arguments made Thursday night, Biden used the wrong tactic. The speech felt like a 24-minute bitch slap of Republicans, he said. Quote, I was offended by certain parts of it. I think he would have been better off not doing it. He's not going to gain votes for, from people like me, he added. So, you know, again, like, you know, you have certain, like, Republicans where it's like, well, I don't know. I, I feel like you're, it's like, it's this common attitude where it's like, you have to cater to people's feelings, which, you know, at, at a certain degree makes sense. But at the same time, it's like, you know, like, maybe I don't want your vote. <laughs> maybe if you're already like somewhat like, well, I'll, I'll hear them out at least like literal fascists. It's like, maybe I don't want you like to consider, you know, voting for me. If like you're undecided, oh man, I have to choose between like literal, like white supremacist Christian fascism versus the very opposite of that. Like, hmm, man, this is a. Man, you you better talk to me nice, or else I'm going to vote for the fascists. So it's like, but anyway, you know, the, some some liberals are also like vo voicing this, like, no, no, we don't, we can't be divisive. It's like, bro, we don't need them. <laughs> we very much don't need them, okay? And of course, like he said, like, oh, I'm worried about semi-fascists. No, it's not semi-fascists. They're just fascists, just plainly. Like, Ted Cruz was getting upset. Oh, I can't believe you would call a semi-fascist. Bro, you yourself are, you you market yourself as, oh, I'm anti-Antifa. It's like, wait, what, what's Antifa mean again? Oh, so, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, you know, of course, people are, like, talking about this. I mean, it's just like, 
it's like an inconsequential speech you know it's just like a he, he's an old man so he's just like oh well, i'm worried about democracy and we're we're facing a threat like never before like that's it he's just doing a little little speech and people are like conflating it they're just blowing it up because like conservatives of course like they, they, they you know you get spilled milk and it's just like oh my god like it's just yeah it's crazy um yeah just pure projection because like it, at a certain point you have to like really think like man like how do they not understand like what they're doing like it, it's they do they know exactly what they're doing it's just like wow like you have like literal white supremacist like agitation okay like stochastic terrorism okay and i i need to like because i had an idea to do like a quick little like uh video on that because like i want to release documentaries but i need to because i need to downsize it like i need to do more like like smaller projects because i want to do something big and it's like there's too much research into it but what they're doing is stochastic terrorism really because it's just like they radicalize people they they make these talking points very obviously white supremacist in nature you know fascist in nature and then you know of course you get like some mass shooting where like the guy writes a manifesto saying exactly the same thing he's saying exactly the same thing like like they have the search history and it's always the same people tucker carlson uh ben shapiro alex jones matt walsh like it's the same people okay and they're saying the same stuff these terrorist shooters and then anytime they're like remotely like oh man oh i i don't know what he was on he was he was a pot smoker yeah that's like, it's just crazy it's crazy like they had um this school uh, this uh, children's hospital in boston and like they're they're they had bomb threats the very hospital that these matt like this matt walsh asshole was like calling out they're getting bomb threats and then of course like somebody gets killed and it's like Oh, I don't, I don't see how I'm connected to that. It's like, yeah. So it's like, this is a very, this is a concerted effort. And I was also talking about last episode about Kiwi Farms, which is pretty much, from what I understand, dead now. So that's a good, that was a good development. That was nice to see because like a lot of people were like scared of that website, and you know we finally got rid of that. But the fight isn't done because like, you know the alt right like tech companies like it's, it's still a very real thing like it's gonna be a very serious problem man but anyway it's just like it's all connected it's all a thread and all these people who are uh, on the the right and the fox news you know alt right media like they're it, it's like a cancer and like it has to be removed completely it has to be removed completely but of course this is like a multi-billion dollar operation that is being uh funded by uh like like you know these uh billionaires you know the Koch brothers right some other you know billionaire they talk about george soros oh this he's funding this leftist movement meanwhile like they're literally like you know like i wish somebody would just like some like leftist like philanthropist would just be like here i'm gonna write a blank check and because like that's what the money is you know that the money is like in you know, being all like, you know, misinformation, right? And, and uh, and uh, conspiracy theories that's what the money is. Like, so of course, you know, I talk about like real facts and stuff, and it's a it's an uphill battle, 
from the start, from the get-go. And, and I'm proud of the progress I've made with this program. You know, uh, you know, it, it's just like, wow. You look at a guy like Ben Shapiro, who's just like trash. But of course, because he's being paid and he has like a big, nice studio. And so he looks super official. And then, you know, he's like a little nerdy guy. Oh, well, we see because like you can like trick some like, yeah, it's just, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I'm getting ahead of myself and I need to move on. I'm just like, you know, the, the response from this uh, speech and of course, the projection, because that's what it is, ultimately. Everything these conservative, alt-right media heads talk, it's like they talk about the left doing. They do themselves, the radicalization. It's going to get bad, man. And, of course, now they are, they are literally talking about civil war. They keep saying civil war. So they're the ones talking about, like, doing this shit. <laughs> they've, that's what they've always been doing. And then once, like, the shooting starts, I can't believe it. Well, you see, now, because now that we're at war, I have to you know uh massacre all minorities <laughs> it's just like because you forced my hand it's just like some crazy rationalization okay because this is what they want to do but they need that cassis belly <laughs> yeah i don't know man anyway i'm gonna move on because this is such a weird topic to talk about you know just from the speech and the reaction like it's silly it's silly but of course this is where we're at now we're living in the in a silly timeline. <laughs> so, um, that's with Biden's speech that uh, was, you know, circulating the headlines. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not a person who's going to celebrate uh, Biden. I mean, like, he's like, it's like a wet sock. I'm just like, I don't know what to feel. I mean, I'm, I'm glad Trump is gone. Things aren't as funny as they used to be, because I'll be honest, like, Trump is funny. Like, I'll, I'll be honest. Like, there's some clips... Them. Like people were talking about Queen Elizabeth and they were doing the Trump uh, little like like Ruth Bader Ginsburg like uh, <laughs> like monologue he did. He's like, oh, I'm just this is the first time I'm hearing of this. She was a wonderful woman. <laughs> so, you know, it's like now that I can look back at it, I can like laugh because like at the time, like I was like seriously like one of these like. Because I was still pretty liberal at the time. So I was one of these people that's like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. You know, like clutching my pearls. But now I'm just like so naive. But I was young. I was like 2016. Like I'm barely 20 years old. So I'm like, I'm still a kid at that point. But anyway, so that was the Trump speech and or the Biden speech. And the, the of course, the, the pearl clutching you know, in response to that from both sides, actually. Some liberals were, you know, saying how... Oh, this is this is a breach of decorum, breach of precedent, like that sort of stuff. Silly, just silly. So another developments that have uh, happened uh, with like election results. They had a special election in Alaska. Uh, this representative Don Young he passed, and so they had an election to uh, you know put a replacement until his term ended, which is in November. So. Yeah, that uh, happened, and a Democrat, Mary Pelotla, hope I'm saying that right, or Pel Petola, <laughs> hope I'm saying that right, uh, she won. She won the election against Sarah Palin, um, who was an interesting character uh, with this uh, U.S. Uh, House special election. So this is um interesting, you know, development, right, uh, especially in a place like 
Alaska, which is pretty red. But this is also, um, Palala is also, or Peltola is, uh, she's the first Alaska native in Congress. So that's good. That's nice to see um, that, uh, you know, little victory there. I mean, you know, of course, like more Native American representation in Congress would be, you know, much better. But yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. But I um, wanted to talk about this at least, not necessarily because, I mean, this is like a little election, like special election, but uh, to talk about uh, rank uh, choice voting, because that was what they uh, do in Alaska. They do that for state and federal elections over there. And uh, people are having this conversation now. And so, yeah, you know, I wanted to at least, you know, talk about that and other uh, developments because, you know, ranked choice voting is... Uh, just like it makes the most sense. And so what ranked choice voting does, and I'm reading uh, from uh, Ballotpedia, it is effectively, you know, you have your ballot and then you choose because they have different rounds of, uh, of counting the ballots, right? And so your first preference, you mark that in, and then you have a second, and third, fourth, however, however, you know, you rank it, right? Based on what you prefer. And so... They count those ballots, and if there isn't in the first round of counting the ballots, if there isn't a clear, decisive, you know, majority winner over fifty percent, then they move on to a new round of counting. And in that second round of counting, what they do is the candidate with the least amount of votes in the first round gets eliminated, and those ballots are, you know, they they remove the ballot from the least. I'm doing a terrible job explaining it, but they remove the ballots for the least candidate. And of those ballots, their second preference now gets added in. And yeah, it, you know, just, you know, I would encourage you to look up the Ballotpedia ranked choice, uh, you know, voting because <laughs> I'm doing a terrible job explaining it. But look at look that up and they'll they'll go into better detail explaining about the ballot system. But, you know, I'm just looking at this and I'm like, huh, we, we should definitely do something like that out here, you know, just nationwide, because that seems to be uh, the most sensible way to count votes if we're trying to respect the will of the people. And like there were certain de Democratic like uh, or sorry, certain like conservative uh, people on Twitter just talking like, well, if we did ranked choice voting all over the country, Democrats would win by landslides like, huh, wouldn't that could you imagine that? Wow. <laughs> it's almost like uh, conservatives are in a minority. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Anyway, it's just so funny. It's so funny how like they're like, no, we can't have democracy. <laughs> we can't do that because we'll lose. Wow. <laughs> it's just wow. Anyway. um, Yeah. So they had this little election here and uh, that little uh, victory for Democrats with this special election. Although... They're going to have another election on November for the new uh, two-year term. So, yeah, good luck to her because she's going to run again for that. I actually have like a friend who lives in that region. So I don't know where her uh, voting was at because <laughs> she does seem a bit conservative. But just funny, like it's just so funny how like you can have friends who are like just conservative leaning. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'll vote for Sarah Palin. Like what? <laughs> so, yeah. Actually, like, so I'm reading from the, I was reading from this NPR article, and so they had, like, this little excerpt where 
Uh, they talk about Sarah Palin, and it seems that like her and Patola, uh, they have a personal relationship, you know, favorable relationship, friendship, even because uh, they worked together when Palin was governor. Uh, Patola was a legislator, and so here's what this little um, paragraph says. So, uh, though Palin had sharp words for her fellow Republican baggage. She refrained from attacking Patola during the campaign, calling her a sweetheart. Patola also did not badmouth Palin, telling NPR, quote, The region where I'm from, there is a big premium on being respectful, on not using inflammatory language or harsh tones. So, you know, it's so interesting because Sarah Palin is like, she's quite literally like the genesis of like the Tea Party, like, like, yeah, like the like birther movement, like her, Trump, like, yeah, so it's so interesting how, like, she would actually, like, against a Democrat, her opponent, even, like, I- I'm-, I'm sure, like, she's still, like, trying to contest the results, but, you know, it's like, huh, like, she actually kind of likes her, like, Patola. And so it's just so interesting how, like, you can be on, like, this, like, political spectrum and then still somehow, like, on a personal level, respect in someone, you know, as a friend or a colleague, even though, like, they have like wildly opposing views so it's very interesting but yeah as i was saying because i was talking about like like a f- personal friend but um that's the ranked choice voting and the results there in alaska and how that is going to uh just uh influence things moving forward but i also bring this up because you know we've had we're having this discussion of ranked choice voting but there's also uh this uh, particularly important uh, Supreme Court case that, you know, I, for whatever reason, it's just like, and now I can address it because like I've been holding off on it. So now I can talk about it at the very least about this court case that's happening. Uh, it's uh, concerning this uh, in, out of North Carolina, you know, this like voting map and uh, they, they, they have this super fringe, you know, I'm reading from a transcript from this uh, radio uh, interview on NPR. And so there's like this like super, super fringe interpretation that basically says that state legislators can just like just like up and like ignore the state constitution and just like set whatever legal parameters for elections. And like, of course, like we have like a just a lunatic Supreme Court, you know, with Kavanaugh, with uh, Barrett, right, Gorsuch. Clarence Thomas, <laughs> like, they're, like, they're hearing this out, this, like, theory that, like, oh, yeah, the legislators, we don't have to, we don't have to abide by the Constitution, that, yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous, and, then, like, the, the the Supreme Court case, like, judges are, like, yeah, no, we should hear that out, <laughs> okay, um, sorry, I'm gonna read from NPR, just to explain further what, what's happening here, so, uh, just reading, so they have Lo Wang, yeah, Hansi Lo Wang, who is an NPR journalist, and they're also just talking uh, with uh, some other experts, right? Right, so this is from Lo Wang, and they're concerning this fringe theory. Quote, it claims that the U.S. Constitution gives state legislators the power to control how elections for Congress and for president are conducted without any limits from state constitutions or state courts. Now state legislators would still be limited by federal laws passed by Congress in the U.S. US Constitution. But under this theory, state legislators would have almost unchecked power over federal elections for Congress and the president. And continuing further, 
because you know they're talking like okay this is a fringe theory right so yeah lowang again the legal scholars i've talked to tell me this is a very fringe controversial reading of the u.s constitution essentially they told me it's reading too much into the word legislature and ignoring the fact that state legislators are created by the state constitutions you know for many legal scholars it just does not make sense to argue that state legislators do not have to follow their own state's constitutions or the rulings of the state court like it's like yeah obviously if the constitution is the law like it's the constitution <laughs> and then oh and then the conservative supreme court judges they've signaled that they are interested in this in the independent state legislator theory three of them have signaled that they would likely side with the north carolina republican state lawmakers in this case and a supreme court endorsement of this theory could have implications far beyond north carolina and election laws across the country so it's just ridiculous they're just like oh yeah we don't have to listen to the constitution our constitution the, the state constitution we don't have to abide by that <laughs> the judges are like makes sense to me you know this is what i mean this, you know this is a concerted coup effort by conservatives like they are this is a coup man this is a this is how it works of course they can't just send in the military yet they can't do that yet they have to do all these legal uh you know dance like oh well you see because the the supreme court has decided that uh the state legislators can ignore the constitution like it's just so funny it's just like this is a fake country bro this is a fake country and these conservatives they are setting us up for disaster they're going to set us up for disaster and then when things start falling apart they're going to start blaming the the leftists of course because of course it's the the radical democratic left biden you know, he's stalin like it's just out of like just complete lunacy anyway <laughs> right uh continuing still with Loang. right now election experts are saying there could be a wide range of ripple effects depending on how the court rules it could become easier in some states for state lawmakers to gerrymander congressional maps to benefit their party. You know, I talked to Carolyn Shapiro, a professor at Kent Chicago or Chicago Kent College of Law, and Shapiro told me that it could also upend election rules and bring a lot of chaos to election officials. And then now they're continuing with uh, Carolyn Shapiro. Almost every state has what we might call unified elections, so they hold elections at the same time for different offices at different levels of government. Under the independent state legislative theory, there would be the potential that you would have to have different ballots, that you would have to have different registration systems, and you would have to have different voter ID laws. And there would be all kinds of things that might be impossible to operate in that unified way. So this is like inherent sabotage. Like imagine if you had to do all these like, it's the red tape, it's the bureaucracy, and they make it to such a degree that it's like, what's the point of voting if it's all this work? Like, you know, it, it very much reminds me when they had stuff like poll taxes and uh, the reading tests, right? And I actually even, like, uh, saw this, like, uh, photo of one of those reading tests from the Jim Crow era. And it's, like, it's constructed in such a way that, like, you can't pass. It's just, like, you can't pass. All these questions are, like, it's just, like, what? Like, this, yeah, anyway, it's ridiculous, bro. Like, they do all this legal precedent and make it, like, this dance, this, like, little, like, circus act so then they could just say legally oh well you can't vote like i'm i'm kind of worried about this upcoming election because like i keep hearing these reports of like uh a certain voter who like 
they they miss like this one little like uh paper trail like issue that the the police were just like oh, okay well now we have to arrest you for voter fraud it's just like what like just because of this little paper error now it's a felony <laughs> it's ridiculous but that's that's what they're doing now because they don't want people like me right melanated people uh having voting rights and you know this is what it's about of course how, how much you want to bet in this north carolina gerrymandered district it's against a predominantly uh either black or you know non-white community you know it, yeah that's what they do man it's just like oh no we can't do ranked choice voting we can't have democracy <laughs> so yeah so this is expected to be a uh you know because like there's a whole lot that's coming out for the next session which is going to be next uh summer but i don't have much hope that they're going to be able to uh you make a good ruling with this it's like you know the 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 supreme court is just like these old people that like what the fuck man this is very clearly not the will of the people and like they were saying actually um concerning like the roe v wade decision and the leak before that um that like uh chief justice john brown or whatever his name is uh john brown (laughs) but uh they they said the chief justice was like attempting to reach out to the conservative uh justices trying to like cut a deal because like even he like a lot of conservatives are actually like very pro-abortion like that's the thing that they don't like this like pro-life movement is like a very fringe group but anyway even he was trying to like make a case you know trying to like you know compromise and cater to the conservatives and the leak is what pushed them to 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 overturn roe v wade the, that the, the leak was what, what did it and of course there's very very uh good evidence to point that clarence thomas was somehow involved with that leak I mean, his wife was already implicated in the January 6th insurrection, which, of course, nobody's really, you know, following up on. But, you know, this is like there is very clearly an underground secret movement within the conservative, you know, Republican conservative parties that are trying to destroy democracy. And, of course, when you see Biden making a little comment saying purely purely against the Trumpers, right? Because, but it's not just the Trumpers; it's the whole Republican movement. But saying like, "Oh, they're semi-fascist," they're just like, "Oh, what? This is so divisive. I can't believe you would say this. This is dangerous language." But then they do they do stuff like this in the shadows, trying to undermine, like actually undermine our democracy with this like legal song and dance. But yeah, man, things are not going to turn out well. It's just to say the least. Because this is um, this is very clearly a coup that is going to fall through um they're gonna do something yeah they've already demonstrated it and i talked earlier about uh just you know yeah like it's just bad man things are so bad like this is not gonna end well and then of course like you know it's like uh, people are complacent because they just want to write out this comfortable lifestyle right they got normal lives and oh i'm not gonna do anything and i'm just gonna live my suburban life because that's all i have to live for 
And then all of a sudden, one day, they're just going to wake up and then there's going to be a fascist dictatorship. And then it's just like, oh, well, um, yeah, I'm just I'm just going to, you know, as long as they don't come after me, what do I have to do? Right. That's the thing. You know, when, when we talk about the Third Reich, Germany being taken over, like not that many people were like hardline, like Aryan, like all oh, pro Nazi people. But, you know, they, you know, they weren't getting harassed. In fact, they were, you know, being preferred and being, you know, uh, getting uplifted, right? Being supported by this regime. So it's like, OK, well, my life is good. So I'm not going to stand up for my Jewish neighbors. I'm not going to stand up for my gay neighbors because I don't want to ruin what I got going on right now. Yeah, man. It's just that's the way things are. People are, you know, they, yeah, I, I just, anyway, I, I'm getting way ahead of myself. But I'm just saying, like, you know, as I said, Americans are, like, scared of their shadow. The, the most obvious thing that's happening right in front of them, like they just like don't talk about or they don't want to think about it until somebody like somebody like me says it because I understand that it can't be ignored. But of course, they just, yeah, the one, yeah. Anyway, I'm going to continue because it's just crazy just thinking about everything. Anyway, you know, but then, you know, that's like political developments, which people don't like thinking about. But then, like, you have, Stuff like with Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi is a, a new crisis that's occurring, a water crisis, which is going to become a common theme now. And, uh, yeah, they have have this water crisis. They can't drink their water. They can't even shower. Like, they told them straight up, like, don't take a shower. Like, it's just like, yeah, funny. Oh, no, see, because under socialism, you'll have bread lines. But under capitalism, you'll have water lines. So that's that's obviously better. Man, I can't even imagine what I would be doing if, like, suddenly, like, I couldn't use the water and I had to line up for hours. Like, these lines are long. And they're getting, like, maybe, like, a, a couple packs of water. And, wow, man, like, this is so bad. This is embarrassing that we have to, like, live like this. That we just watch stuff like this and then, like, honestly believe Oh, no, you see, because China is going to collapse any second now. <laughs> and then, like, stuff like this happens. And this is going to continue to become a problem. Like, it's just the the the, the grade is just going to continue. Wow, man. And, yeah, man. And what a surprise, too. This is, like, the, all these, like, water crises, all these clean water crises are happening in majority black areas. Like, Jackson, Mississippi is, like, 80% black. Flint, Michigan is a black city. Like, wow, what a surprise. All these different towns with majority black people are running out of clean water. Hmm. Anyway, bro. So, you know, I'm going to read from NBC. And they're talking about uh, the just uh, ins inspections, the relief efforts that are undertaken for this. But again, you know, this is just a common theme now of just decline and just the infrastructure just like rotting away and then like people just like of course the suburbs oh no the suburbs are nice and pretty and clean and, you know all this it's nice and clean everything is great lots of water right <laughs> but hey you know who needs clean water in jackson mississippi right like they did this like um report on like certain celebrities too and they said like uh like kim kardashian like she 
oh my god it's just like they basically said like nine months worth of water like over the course of like i i forget like the timeline but like there was just like the, the the amount of waste especially from like celebrities like wow man this is just the way we live bro fuck the poor <laughs> it's just wow man so right reading from nbc uh concerning jackson mississippi right a team from the Environmental Protection Agency's Office of Inspector General arrived in Jackson last week to begin a multidisciplinary top-to-bottom review of the current drinking water crisis, an agency spokesperson told NBC News. Quote, the EPA OIG is keenly interested and concerned about what is happening in Jackson, Mississippi, said the spokesperson Jennifer Kaplan. Quote, last week, we began sending OIG personnel to collect data and conduct interviews over and over the coming week, we expect to announce work related to the city's water system. The Inspector General's office is staffed by teams of auditors, evaluators, and criminal investigators. That office did not say which specific teams were deployed to Jackson. And they also go a little further because, of course, this has been a problem that has been... Because, like, all these little problems that are happening, like, they're fixable, but they, they, they're just left... They're just ignored. And of course, this fixable problem gets worse and worse and worse. And then eventually now we're in a situation where you have like uh, Jackson, Mississippi has 150,000 people. Now they don't have clean water (laughs) because they didn't want to fix this problem that just accumulated over time. This is ridiculous, bro. This is absolutely ridiculous. And then we, we sign off on billions of dollars to Ukraine and all these cops. And we can't even have clean water. We can't even have a functioning uh, electricity grid system. Like, oh, no. But you see healthcare. Oh, that's going to cost a lot of money. But, hey, no response whatsoever to this. Nobody talks about this. Nobody, nobody fucking cares. This is why I'm just like, I'm so like, I'm out of it. Like, it's just like, you know, you... you you kind of see like the apathy that people have towards the world and it's like wow it's just like wow how do people live like this <laughs> so anyway um right so in recent years the issues with jackson's water system have come under scrutiny from state and federal regulatory officials who have flagged problems ranging from inadequate staffing at the city's main water treatment plant to delays in carrying out needed repairs Residents recently experienced a days-long outage of running water, and even now, more than 150,000 people or residents in Mississippi's capital still lack clean drinking water. Mississippi's Governor Tate Reeves said Friday that a citywide boil water notice in effect since July 29th was unlikely to be lifted over the weekend. The Inspector General's inquiry in Jackson is similar to the EPA's involvement in Flint, Michigan, beginning in 2014 which culminated in a blistering report on lead contaminated, uh, contamination four years later. That report concluded, quote, the EPA should strengthen its oversight of state drinking water programs to improve the efficiency and effectiveness of the agency's response to drinking water contamination emergencies. The Flint water crisis ultimately resulted in nine indictments. Again, like the, the governor, like uh, he... He's still, like, they say indictments, but of course, like, nobody got charged over this stuff. But, yeah. Uh, The Inspector General's Jackson Review will start with conversations with local, state, and federal players 
who have a role in overseeing the public resources dedicated to ensuring residents have clean water. Again, like, they're just going to do, like, this little thing. It's just so funny. And, of course, like, it's this fucking Jackson, Mississippi, bro. Like, come on. They're like, the oh, oh, see, because we're dignified, folks. Like, it's just whatever, man. Um, Right. So that's there. Of course, things are not good in the U.S. of A. Man. And again, you know, you're just told... You gotta, you gotta be proud. You know, you gotta be proud to be an American. It's just like, what the fuck, bro? It's just, this is a joke. It's a fucking joke, man. <laughs> Again, you know, it's just like, you couldn't get a better indication of how things are. Where something like clean water is becoming a problem that, of course, like, Nobody fix anything until, like, shit goes wrong. And then it's like, now we got to do the criminal investigation. It's just like, dude, like, come on. Wow. And again, you know, when you're poor, it's like, you can't wait for them to fix it. Like, I need clean water right now. And you guys just let it slip away. Crazy, crazy country we live in. But of course, you know, the these suburbanites... Like, yeah, of course, I sound like I have a lot of content. And I do, really, because it's just like you talk to some people and they're just like, what? Like, it's just like, wow, you really live in such a perfect little straight edge, like, you know, nice lawn, so safe and perfect, white picket lifestyle. Everything is great for you. So you don't have to think about anything. You don't have to be worried about anything, right? Because you live in this bubble, (laughs) Around all these white folks, because that's really what it is. It's white flight. It's just like, come on, dude. It's just ridiculous, ridiculous. Anyway, so that is me talking about the U.S. Now I want to go into more uh, international affairs and uh, to talk about stuff. You know, I was talking about the death of the Queen. You know, that's uh, just been something that's been taking over the UK. But also, they have a new prime minister. They have a prime minister. Uh, her name is uh, Liz Truss. She's a Tory. So, that is, uh, yeah, this Tory government is just like, just like all over the place. But hey, but hey, you know, that's just uh, how things are right now. So, we're, uh, you know, talking about uh, the UK and uh, just really, you know, there's concerns now about energy and it's just the cost of living. And of course, the UK is uh, like they they have to import their food, right? They're an island, so they have to import their food and they have to, and they're not part of the, the European Union. So like things are just, you know, not looking good, really. Things are looking pretty dire and winter is coming. And so there's concerns over energy heating you know gas and such and so they have to make measures austerity measures right to address uh just these woes you know right the the consumer uh, is about to hit a a really uh, low point you know really really turbulent time but uh yeah so they have liz trust taking over as prime minister and they're announcing the measures that they're taking to address 
these rising costs. So they said Prime Minister Liz Truss has said domestic fuel, bill, fuel bills will be frozen for two years, marking her first week in office with a costly plan to tackle the country's cost of living crisis. The government said on Thursday it would also review progress toward its legally enshrined target to achieve net zero carbon emissions by 2050 to ensure the needs of consumers and businesses are taken into account while stressing it remain committed to the goal. So, yeah, they have to like balance between uh, these emission targets and also like not like drowning, uh, you know, consumers and businesses. So, yeah, that's what they're, they're announcing these uh, caps, right? So, right, households are facing an 80% hike in gas and electricity bills next month due to the rise in the cost of wholesale energy, made worse by a squeeze on supplies after Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Businesses whose bills are not capped have warned they could go to the wall because of even bigger rises. At the same time, as inflation is at 40 years high of 10.1% and predicted to go higher. The government expects the state-backed scheme to cost tens of billions of pounds, but Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng, Kwarteng, UK's new finance minister, insisted it would have substantial benefits to the economy. It would curb inflation by 4 to 5%, they said in a statement. They also announced an end to a ban on fracking, a controversial method to drill for fossil fuels, and more drilling licenses for North Sea oil and gas. So they're announcing these caps, and they're also saying they want to reach certain fuel emissions, uh, but they're going to continue with the fracking, the drilling for oil. So it's just so, it's really interesting how like this war, like it's like kind of causing the West to, because they don't want to make a deal. <laughs> so they're just going to start drilling and fracking more so that they can get their own oil. Yeah. So great, <laughs> great uh, developments there. And so they said, uh, Trust is saying at least that uh, this is, uh, you know, a sigh of relief for Trust and Quarantine, uh saying this is a sigh of relief, you know, trying to, you know, lessen the load on, you know, the average people because, yeah, because these bills are, they're, they're adding up for working folks. They're adding up. And of course, we've had also strikes uh from like rail workers so like there's there's labor movements that are happening now demanding for more pay so like yeah man like think things are you know things are getting rough for the uk and you know who knows i mean there's talk about like say with scotland there's talk about uh having a referendum once more for secession and also like Sinn fein right they're the the biggest party in northern ireland so like who knows if like they'll push for reunification anytime soon, right? They, they have like the Star Trek meme. Oh, yes, the Irish reunification of 2024. So it's just like, come on, lads, let's let's do it. <laughs> so, yeah, actually, you know, so just a little tangent because I actually did a, a DNA test. And so I found that I actually have 5% Irish ancestry. It's actually like, the third most uh, European heritage that I got. So it's like Spanish and Portuguese and Irish, it's 5%. So I got I got to thinking, I'm like, okay, because you know, 5%, that's like a distant relation. 
since I'm primarily like Spanish and or Portuguese, but Iberian. So I got to thinking, I'm like, okay, because you think like the history of Ireland, and I'm like, well, I mean, Oliver Cromwell was, you know, conquering and, you know, genociding all over Ireland in like the 1600s. And there was a, a diaspora from that. People, there were, there were um, Spanish, Irish refugees that went to Spain. So I'm like, okay, like that might be the heritage that I have from that. So like I'm like I, I may or may not be connected to the genocidal colonialism of the British Empire. So it's like okay, like I gotta I gotta be supportive of my Irish brethren. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, I, I, that's the little thing I want to talk about. But just the UK at the very least, there. You know, yeah, man. Like, and this is this is gonna be a common thread with Europe as well. And Europe is doing their own measures to address. Uh, these fuel caps. Well, okay. So, well, actually, they're doing it differently. So, UK is doing the fuel caps. And they're, they're basically just, like, making it so, like, uh, I think 2500 uh, is the cap for households for two years. Whereas the EU, their uh, decision is, or what their proposal is going to be soon, is to uh, just uh, go at the profits, you know, take those costs out of the profits of these uh energy firms because lord knows they've been making a buck from all this so i'm reading from reuters so the european union energy ministers on friday tasked brussels with drafting proposals within a few days to cap the revenues of non-gas energy producers and help power firms stay afloat but as they sought to protect citizens from soaring energy prices that have driven inflation across the continent to record highs the ministers backed away from more divisive proposals to cap Russian gas prices. At an emergency meeting in Brussels, the ministers instead asked the European Commission to propose broader gas price caps, even as the EU executive itself swiftly poured cold water on the feasibility of such an idea. EU countries also supported the executive's proposal to offer emergency funds to power firms facing soaring collateral requirements and charged the commission with designing such measures. Quote, everybody's in a hurry to find a solution, Sweden's energy minister, Kasahayir Farmanbar, as ministers worried over the impact of sky-high energy prices on households and businesses. The EU's windfall plan, yet to be fleshed out, would see government skim off excess revenues from wind, nuclear, and coal power plants that currently sell their power at record prices determined by the cost of gas and use the money to curb consumer bills. So that's not, you know, the worst thing, you know? So, yeah, I mean, like, it's, you know, these companies are making record profits. So it's like, yeah, just use that to cover uh, people's bills because, geez, man, people are drowning, you know? Goddamn. And, yeah, I mean, there's also, I mean, they and they're kind of, they, they don't exactly want to put uh, caps on Russian gas because then because Russia's already like depleted their uh, supply. They say they say up to like 90 percent. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's not something that they can do right now. Like they, they can't risk losing that gas. And uh, even like the euro, the euro now is below a dollar. Like so things are not looking good, man. And they don't they, they're kind of stuck on making a decision like say um right here. 
uh, reading from the Hungarian foreign minister, quote, if price restrictions were to be imposed exclusively on Russian gas, that would evidently lead to an immediate cutoff in Russian gas supplies. So, yeah, they're a bit divided on this, you know. Uh, let's see what else. Right. I would, and this is from uh, the Dutch uh, state secretary for uh, extractive industries, Hans Vijbref, uh, whatever, whatever we say, Dutch. <laughs> Quote, I would not say there was a broad support for a broad gas price cap. So there, there's, you know, real like divide. There's a real divide on this, you know, and like if they lose the Russian gas, like, bro, there's going to be riots, man. Like, seriously, like, things are not good. This this is going to be a very rough winter, man, if uh, Russia just, like, you know, cuts off the, you know, just, like, shuts the pipe, right? Man, so, yeah, that's, you know, the different, like, solutions. And, you know, the UK have, uh, they have their plan, and then the EU has their plan. And then, of course, all the EU states are getting really divided about this. And this is, like, really... Uh, really unstable really really unstable so really really precarious situation because when it comes to resources like all that like you know brother in arms stuff that the eu is about now that like the resource resources are starting to dwindle it's going to start that national divide once more and yeah i mean so just like talking because you know i'm a gamer right (laughs) i'm a gamer bro but uh, just talking about um say like the fallout lore like this is exactly what was happening they had resource problems and all these like european countries started fighting each other <laughs> man yeah uh it's so so uh interesting how like you know a piece of fiction can actually like really emulate to somehow predict very real geopolitical circumstances but hey you know that's uh where things seem to be heading so yeah anyway so that's the gas crisis the energy crisis that europe is going to be facing and you know before you know and there's some other stuff that are developing with this uh ukraine war in particular because uh a lot has happened and there's been some you know developments that are good for uh, ukraine as particularly with this offensive in kharkiv but uh, we don't want exactly counter eggs too soon because we we don't exactly know what's going to happen because this is a very how do I say it's a very fluid uh, situation right now because anything could happen right. So Russia va- basically controls they say about a fifth of the country, the uh, you know the eastern side that's bordering yeah Russia <laughs> out of the Crimea and Donbass regions and so. Yeah, they also hold now, say, Kherson, and they, they, they held Kharkiv, which now Ukraine has uh, made a significant offensive to retake that land. I mean, like, there was like, oh, it was a route, basically. Like, they made a huge gain, you know, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I want to be objective, but of course, like, it is pretty impressive to see the gains that they made just overnight. But of course, there's some other developments in for a moment, it seemed as though, like, it was a trap. It seemed as though, like, because they were breaking through pretty quickly, and, like, they seemed like they were about to overextend themselves, and then they would uh, get encircled. So who knows where uh, Russia, what their plans are, you know, to counteract this. Because 
you know, you can make a pretty significant gain taking back some territory, but then you have to hold it because, of course, Russia is going to respond to that. And, you know, that part of the country, because, you know, there's, of course, the question of air superiority, but, like, Russia can have the far greater control of the airspace in the east than they did, say, around, like, Kiev or, you know, yeah, so that that's the question, right? So, anyway, so I'm reading from the BBC talking about uh, this pretty, like, explosive breakthrough, right? And so... Yeah, so they're just talking about the gains that they made. So they they said they, they have retaken over 3,000 square kilometers. Uh, they've uh, made remarkable advances, you know, within that 48-hour period. And, yeah, I mean, here's the thing, though, because you hear the Ukrainian government making these responses, but uh, journalists aren't allowed on the front line. So, of course, the information that we're getting from the Ukrainians is going to be very biased. It's going to be very biased because I've seen some... Uh, reports about uh like casualties and like they had to like some of the hospitals were like so like overfilled that they had to like rush people to kiev you know and like yeah yeah so it's like they they had it was a big fight it was a really really heavy fight for sure but you know journalists aren't allowed on the front lines so we don't exactly know what's happening you know the ukrainians might be giving us these uh positive figures okay we made these gains but then it's like okay but what was the the, the cost of that because you know you can make a pretty significant like campaign but then you could also lose like a lot of men you know i'll talk about uh the Kherson offensive they're trying to make moves there some some are even saying that the the Kherson offensive was meant to be a diversion for this kharkiv movement so i'll talk about that in a second but yeah let's see yeah, so, you know, and talking about Russia, right? So, Russia's defense ministry confirmed its forces retreated from Izium itself, the Kupiansk, which it said would allow them to regroup in territory held by Moscow-backed separatists. The Russian ministry also confirmed the withdrawals from of troops from a third key town, Palaklia, in order to bolster efforts in the Donetsk front. Ukrainian forces entered the town on Friday. The pace of the counterattack has caught the Russians off guard, and Chechen leader Ramzan Kadyrov, a staunch supporter of President Vladimir Putin, appeared to question Moscow's military strategy. In a message posted to Telegram, Mr. Kadyrov said that there was not a change in Russia's fortunes. He would be forced to question the country's leadership to explain the situation. Meanwhile, President Volodymyr Zelensky accused Russia of targeting critical infrastructure in Ukraine's east in response, leading large swaths of territory in total blackout. So, it's a bit of a back and forth, and yeah, there are certain doubts. Um, you know, see, Katarov, I mean, he's like this warlord, Chechen warlord, and yeah, I mean, the fact that he's you know voicing some doubts pretty openly, because I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, who knows? See, like, because I'm, I'm studying Russian history for one of my history classes, and so it's just so interesting to see how like certain trends in Russian history like keep repeating themselves. And, yeah, man, uh, it's just, yeah, yeah, it's a very, again, you know, I, because Russophobia is very real, actually, you know, first when I heard that term, I'm like, come on, but no, it's actually, like, very real, um, so I don't want to, because I have respect for Russia, I do, but it's just, like, this war, it's just, like, what is happening, like, it's just, like, what, <laughs> yeah, so, 
they're talking about that the the Kharkiv offensive and the gains that they've made there like they're saying like entire units of Russian troops were uh, being wiped out so yeah so and they also said uh, the Ukrainian forces have said that they've captured like uh, multiple generals too I mean a lot of these uh, high-ranking commander officers are in the field so yeah man like this is a uh, pretty significant yeah so that was with Kharkiv and the advances they made there but then I was talking also about Kherson and there's a very different story there it seems that in the south around Kherson the Russian forces are more entrenched and more experienced actually so that is uh certainly something to, to consider so you know everybody's celebrating these victories happening in Kharkiv meanwhile you hear stories about uh, Kherson from wounded troops and they're just like they're saying like they're completely outgunned they're just getting zeroed in by you know artillery and uh, drones and yeah so and I'm reading from the Washington Post so soldiers said they lacked the artillery needed to dislodge Russia's entrenched forces and described a yawning techno technology gap with their better equipped adversaries. The interviews provided some of the first direct accounts of a push to retake captured territory that is so sensitive, Ukrainian military leaders have barred reporters from visiting the front lines. And so uh, we're just re hearing accounts from wounded Ukrainian uh, soldiers and officers who are you know, going by aliases you know, because they, they can get reprimanded, right? Uh, so quote, they used everything on us, said Denis, a 33-year-old Ukrainian soldier whose unit fell back from a Russian-held village after a lengthy barrage of cluster bombs, phosphorus munitions, and mortars. Quote, who can survive an attack for five hours like that? Uh, Denis and eight other Ukrainian soldiers from seven different units provided rare descriptions of the Kherson counter-effective in the south, the most ambitious military operation by Kiev since the expulsion of Russian forces at the perimeter of the capital in spring. As in the battle for Kiev, Ukraine's success is hardly assured, and the soldiers' accounts signaled that a long fight and many more casualties lie ahead. And so reading from this uh, soldier, this platoon commander, uh, we lost five people for every one they did. So, yeah, there's, there, you know, again, Russia has more troops to replace. And also, like, you know, in this certain instance, there's the fire support, the Ukrainians just didn't have. They're also saying how there was, uh, yeah, they had Russian tanks in these uh, cement fortifications that they would shelter in to, you know, protect from artillery. And then they would just roll out and then shoot at the advancing Ukrainians. And then they would go back into the fort. And then, yeah, so it's like, again, they're like lodged in there. And they also said how uh, they have like, because uh, like there's also electronic warfare right with the russian hackers they uh they basically just like hack into ukrainian drones and then they just like fly the drones into russian territory so it's just crazy yeah so anyway i mean that's really what's happening there and of course they are talking with some certain soldiers um, a lot of these ukrainian soldiers are inexperienced i mean this is their first major war and yeah i mean you know it's just you read these stories, and then, of course, you have the uh, celebration by uh, these... They call themselves NAFO, like N-A-F-O. You know, they, they always have, like, this Sheba, like, Doge uh, little uh, character 
So it's weird. But of course, you know, they're like, they're like, oh my God, Kharkiv, Kharkiv. But then Kirsten, they, they don't really talk about. So, hey, you know, uh, Ukraine is going to do what they were going to do. And they're going to try to dislodge the Russians from there. But at the same time, it's like they're up. They're really up against like hard fortifications. And it's just like a gauntlet, really. It's a gauntlet. And yeah, again, you know, they, they, they are saying, though, I don't know. But you see, Kirsten was the diversion for Kharkiv. So that makes sense. Okay, yeah. But we have to see what's going to move forward. Like, because Russia is going to respond somehow. We, we haven't even seen, like, Russia, like, half mobilization. So it's like, they even, like, um I believe they signed a law to, like, uh, conscript, like, another, like, 100,000 troops. So, like, again, you know, like, Russia, like, if they fully mobilize, they could easily crush Ukraine. But they're not going to do that. At least not yet. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so that's with uh, Ukraine. Those different uh, moves that they've been making. Now I am looking at this map. Uh, interactive map from the Institute for the Study of War. And so it is interesting to see how like the updates they've made. So when I was first watching um, yesterday looking at it, there was a bit of a... It was like a bulge. So they made a breakthrough, and now, looking at this new update, they pushed all the troops to the, the border. So, like, basically, like, the eastern, like, not even, like, like the eastern, like, sliver of the Kharkiv Oblast is still in Russian control, but the whole Oblast is eventually liberated. And they took Izium, so they pushed the Russian troops out of Izium. So they've... They, they have a front, so it's no longer this big bulge. They have a front, but again, we have to see what the Russian response is going to be because this just feels like one of these like situations where uh, one side makes big gains and then the other side makes a move and they push everything out and then it just goes back and forth. Again, this is very much a stalemate. I just don't think Russia's... Uh, I think Russia's holding back. I even think they said they're they're holding back because they want to limit civilian casualties. But the, the Kharkiv front is, um, or sorry, the Kherson front, that is more of a a fight that is uh, heavily fortified. And Kharkiv is, uh, yeah, we're just gonna have to see what what happens next. You know, again, you know, it's like a little little victory for Ukraine. Okay. Little victory for these, uh, you know, anti-Russia uh, people, NATO people. And what's also interesting about this map too is they show a reported uh, partisan activity, you know, different areas within the uh, Russian-controlled areas. And there's like a huge, huge like pocket of partisan activity like around Melitopol. And of course, there's like little pockets around the Donbas and Saporizhia Oblasts, and yeah, so. There's activity behind the lines, and again, we just have to see where things are going to move and how they're going to, how how it's going to move forward. But yeah, so that's um, the uh, you know Ukraine war in that uh, area, you know of just war and yeah, it's funny how like you know <laughs> people talk about like sports and they get like you know like every detail. I don't know anything about sports. I don't follow sports. I follow war. <laughs> so you want to talk about this war 
okay, yeah, we can do that. But fantasy football, I don't, huh? What? So, yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, with the war in Ukraine. And also, uh, I wanted to talk also about a recent uh, development. So this is this is new. Like there doesn't seem to be any like official like uh, reports at least yet. Let me see here. There's a concerns um, Armenia and Azerbaijan, and recently, like within like a couple hours ago, there uh, seems to be like a just a flash of violence. Uh, they have like artillery exchange. Let me see here. Because it's not just because there's a there's an area that's contested over, so they have this republic called Artsakh. Or it's like it's an Armenian exclave within Azerbaijan, and so it's just like a, a battle. But these uh, clashes that are now being reported, freshly reported, are within Armenia proper. So again, this is a very new development this is like one of the only like articles that i can see at the moment it's uh yeah it's a jerusalem post article this is the only one that i can really find uh about this clash recently and it's a, it's a pretty serious exchange and again this is in armenia proper this isn't the the republic of artsakh am i saying that right hold on <laughs> hold on art The Republic of Artsakh. Yeah, I was saying that right. Okay, so anyway, so just reading from the Jerusalem Post and what they're saying about these clashes. Uh, large clashes broke out between Armenian and Azerbaijani forces along the border between the two countries on Monday night, according to Azerbaijani and Armenian Defense Ministries. Azerbaijani artillery and UAVs uh, reportedly targeted sites in Verdanis, Goris, Sot, and Jarmuk in eastern Armenia. The Azerbaijani Defense Ministry claimed that Armenian forces carried out a large-scale sabotage towards Dash Kasan, Kalbajar, Lakshin, uh, including the mining uh, certain areas. Uh, casualties and material damage have been reported by the Azerbaijani side, although exact details are as of yet unclear. The Armenian Defense Ministry stated that Azerbaijani forces fired intensively with artillery fire and UAVs on Armenian forces in the Goris and Sot and Jarmuk areas. In August, two soldiers from the defense force of the de facto Artsakh Republic were killed, and 14 others were injured in strikes by Azerbaijani forces in the northwestern part of Nagorno-Karabakh region. So that's ultimately what this uh, whole conflict is over, is uh, this region that is inhabited by uh, Armenians. So, right. The Republic of Artsakh is a de facto republic internationally recognized as part of Azerbaijan. In 2020, the area where the republic is situated was recaptured by Azerbaijan. Meanwhile, the Azerbaijani Defense Ministry claimed that Armenian militants fired at Azerbaijani positions in the Lakshin district at the time, killing one Azerbaijani soldier. The Azerbaijani Defense Ministry announced then it would carry out an operation titled Revenge against a number of groups of Armenian forces in the region, the ministry additionally claimed that Armenian armed groups tried to seize the Kyrgyz Hill and establish new combat positions there. Later in August, Azerbaijani forces entered Lakin, or Lakshin, replacing Russian peacekeepers who were there, stationed there. So, 
yeah, this is a this is a little clash, and you know that um, Nagorno Karabakh conflict that uh, happened was a uh, pretty significant. Like, you know, again, like it's so interesting now that we're having these conventional wars, and it's usually like these small little nation states, and now and this is before Russia invaded Ukraine, and now we're seeing the same sort of tactics because um, Azerbaijan they have uh, Turkish drones. And so they've used that a lot against Armenians. Like, there's a lot of videos of, like, Armenian troops just getting, like, zeroed and pinpointed, especially with artillery. So, yeah, you know, we're seeing that play out in this Russia-Ukraine war as well. So it's just, yeah, the, yeah, new new age of warfare, right? And, of course, they had to make a deal uh, with our Azerbaijan and Armenia, and they had Russian peacekeepers, so this new... Uh, you know, clash of violence, right? This uh, basically artillery exchange. Not the Nagorno-Karabakh region, but Armenia proper. So they're they're shelling Armenia, and uh, who knows where things are gonna move from there? Uh, let me see, actually, because Twitter can show some interesting media. Yeah, they're saying it's all across the border. But we're just going to have to see uh, what happens next. So anyway, that's there. That's a, This is like a new war. Oh, hey, new war, guys. So, yeah. So before I wrap up with the episode, I'm going to talk at least uh, some more about more natural events that are happening. And, uh, yeah, something pretty significant happened with uh, Pakistan. They had this cataclysmic flood. This just this monsoon, right? And also they have melting glaciers. Actually, uh, Pakistan has the most amount of glaciers. You know, they're in the Himalayas, and so they had this biblical level of flooding. Uh, like some of these videos, like I'm not even joking. Like it literally looks like the Earth is just like, like, uh, like splitting apart because of the force of these floods. And like it's like rivers of boulders. Okay. Like, th- this video is, like, insane. The stuff that's coming out. <laughs> but, of course, you know, it's in the global south. It's brown people, you know, poor brown people. So, it's like, ah, well, t- whatever. Like, I remember um, in Germany, not too long ago, they had, like, a similar, like, flash flood scenario. And, like, this these whole entire villages were, like, getting, like, washed out. And, like, they interviewed this lady, and she's like, I, you know, I just never could imagine this, you know, this never happens in rich countries. I'm like, wow, this is like, this is, this is, again, this is how people think. No, only like, only these disasters happen in poor brown countries. Because when it happens here, oh my God, I couldn't, what? It's just, again, man, the 33 million people are displaced in uh, Pakistan. Still, like, you know, right now. And it's just like, te- Texas has 28 million people. Can you imagine if all of Texas just got flooded out and everybody was just homeless all of a sudden? That would devastate the country. <laughs> like, just the recovery efforts for that? Like, what? Dude. Yeah, man. And this is just the beginning. Like, this is the tip of the iceberg. And when we have this conversation about climate change and the climate crisis, it's just like, people don't want to think about this. It's happening right, like, now. It's happening now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, yeah, man, you're, 
hey man, you know, you're just negative, you know, you're just so cynical and all you think about is the world ending. It's just like, wow. Anyway, so uh, that's um, with Pakistan. I'm going to read from Al Jazeera, actually, just you know how they're covering this. And the, they had uh, the United Nations Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, and him, his, his statement. You know, this um, this Secretary General, like, he's pretty much, like, very open and upfront about the climate crisis and who is directly responsible, who is responsible for the climate disasters, and who is responsible to... Uh, you know, offer aid and support, especially for Pakistan, man. Right now, Pakistan, they've had a lot, they've had some political crisis, which I uh, definitely need to do, go into more because it's actually like really interesting what's happening. So they had Imran Khan, who was the prime minister, and he was effectively deposed. So actually, let me see real quick. So they had a no confidence vote and removal. And there's some speculation, though, that this is uh, uh, this is some uh, meddling with the CIA because you know he's uh, not necessarily like the most Western uh, supporting uh, politician. So they already have this crisis that's still ongoing. It's still ongoing, and something that's just gonna it's gonna snowball because Pakistan right now is a nuclear power, and they have a lot of instability in this natural disaster is cataclysm that's what it is uh it's just gonna make things worse because like it's uh a food supply issue it's you know like uh, infrastructure uh like because that's what the damage does it's not just the flood itself like it destroys the infrastructure and especially in a place like pakistan as uh you know considered a developing nation third world you know don't like to use that word but that's what I mean. You would want to say at least, it's um, stuff like this is really devastating. It really sets them back, and then, and then, it just only exacerbates the political issues, right? Say like, in the Syrian civil war, that was a direct result of record-breaking droughts that uh, was pushing farmers to the edge with these super strict uh, met, like uh, taxation uh, measures and. It, it, yeah, man, this is just how things are going to happen. So, again, they already have this political drama, political problems, and when people's standard of living starts falling, and it, uh, yeah, it could lead to disaster. Even it can exacerbate it. So, right. So, the uh, as I was saying, the United Nations Secretary General, he's talking about. What he's seen, he said, quote, I've seen many humanitarian disasters in the world, but I have never seen climate carnage on this scale. I simply have no words to describe what I've seen today. Yeah, this is like, again, like, like you think this is bad, like it's going to get worse. Like this is just the start. It really is. So, uh, right. They say more than a third of Pakistan was submerged by melting glaciers and record monsoon rains that began in June, causing colossal damage to homes, roads, bridges, rail networks, livestock, and crops. So, again, all this damage to infrastructure, to agriculture, and they're never going to fully repair that because that's going to require, they, they say, like, um, up to $20 billion in repairs. <laughs> $20 billion. Like, this is, this is, cat this is 
catastrophic. Some are saying 30 billion even. This is, this is really bad. They even have um, the Mohenjo Daro, which is like uh, one of the Harappa in this river valley uh, sites that got damaged as well from the flooding. Like this is, yeah. And um, yeah, just like all of this, it's happening again, like 30, 30 billion dollars in aid. Like they're, they're not going to get that money. Okay. We gave 30 billion dollars already to Ukraine. But like Pakistan is like they're going to get like crumbs. Like I think like Canada, like they pledged like five million dollars. I'm like, right. That's 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 going to help so much. Yeah. And so I'm going to continue with Guterres. Uh, quote, wealthier countries are morally responsible for helping developing countries like Pakistan to recover from disasters like this and to adapt to build resilience to climate impacts that unfortunately will be repeated in the future. Guterres said, adding that the G20 nations cause 80% of today's emissions. Pakistan is responsible for less than 1% of global greenhouse emissions, but is eighth on the list of compiled by, but is eighth on the list compiled by the NGO German Watch countries of most vulnerable uh, to extreme weather caused by climate change. There seems to be a trend here where the areas in the world that don't really have, that don't contribute much to the emissions, are being disproportionately affected by these disasters. Yeah, so this is just the start and then these uh they're not going to be able to repair it fully and then it is going to continue to decline and just the, the next disaster is going to cause more damage and more damage and then eventually like the people are just going to have to leave because there's nothing left though the country's devastated they gotta they gotta leave and then they they go to the border and they get shot at by the police or military because no, we can't have these brown people here. This is going to be so bad, dude. Like, dude, this is like, this is bad. Like, what's going to happen? Oh, man. So anyway, uh, right. Guterres has lamented the lack of attention the world has given to climate change, particularly from industrialized nations. This is insanity. This is collective suicide. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, and just reading, uh, just like the rain measurements, right? Uh, the meteorological office said Pakistan has received five times more rain than normal in 2022. Padadin, uh, a small town in Sindh province, has been drenched by more than 1.8 meters, or 71 inches, since the monsoon began in June. Yeah, so record, record rainfall. This is, um, and, and it's not just the rainfall, it's the, the, the melt from the, the glaciers. I mean, the, the glaciers up in the Himalayas are huge. They're massive. So they, it holds a lot of water. And the thing about these glaciers is like, it melts in, on the inside. So it's like this submerged lake. And then eventually that builds up over time and then it bursts. And then there's like a whole like deluge that just like destroys. Like you have all this, uh, all these rocks that the, cause like these, uh, glaciers they carry like huge boulders so all these all these boulders and rocks and all the ice that's just like broken into chunks and the water it just it's a flash flood and and like i've seen videos like it's just like it just wipes out entire villages like it's crazy bro so yeah so that's with pakistan 
again, 33 million people, bro. Like, and this is the start. This is just the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg. So, uh, reading again, uh, just from New York Times, because China, they have in their own climate issues, the drought and uh, these riverbeds drying up. And this is uh, causing energy concerns because uh, this is affecting areas of China that are heavily reliant on hydroelectricity. So, you know, when uh, water levels recede, then they can't get as much power from that. And they're saying how uh, because because of that, they're turning more towards coal again. You know, and of course, this is a conversation of China's uh, efforts towards renewable energies, which like they they have voiced it like they, they, they have those plans in place. Again, it's just rather uh they, they just haven't developed that point yet. So they still have to use coal to transition into uh, more cleaner sources. And then, of course, you know, they're trying to use water hydroelectric dams, but then the water levels are low and then they have to go back to coal to make meet up that demand. Yeah, it's just like it's again, it's a cycle because then it's like, OK, we have to use coal because we can't use enough water. And then we're going to release these emissions that are going to make things hotter and then so reading uh, from the NY Times, New York Times, about you know, this uh, drought causing increased uh, use of coal plants, coal power plants. So they're saying how uh, car assembly plants, or just reading from the article, car assembly plants, electronics factories in southwestern China have closed for lack of power. Owners of electric cars are waiting overnight at charging stations to recharge their vehicles. Rivers are so low there that ships can no longer carry supplies. A record-setting drought and an 11-week heat wave are causing broad disruption in a region that depends on dams for more than three-quarters of its electricity generation. The factory shutdowns and logistical delays are hindering China's efforts to revive its economy as, China, as the country's leader, Xi Jinping, prepares to claim a third term in power this, this autumn. And then there's this little, like... Uh, uh, quote like this little article which i think is so funny but i'll say it first so it's like okay the the ruling communist party is already struggling to reverse a slowdown in china the world's second largest economy caused by the country's strict covid lockdowns and a slumping real estate market young people are finding it hard to get jobs while uncertainty over the economic outlook is compelling residents to save instead of spend and to hold off from buying new homes it's like everything they just said there now, of course, they're blaming it on the communists. Everything they just said is literally happening here. <laughs> like, literally. Like, word for word. So, it's just so funny. I, of course, I do understand China does... Like, they're not perfect. Of course, they're going to have their own issues. But it's like, bro, like, oh, young people can't work and they can't buy homes. Man, wouldn't that be crazy if that was happening here? Oh, man. Yeah. It's just everywhere, all these woes. But, right. Uh, just continuing. Uh, now the extreme heat is adding to frustration by snarling power supply, uh, threatening crops and sending off wildfires. Reduced electricity from hydroelectric dams has prompted China to burn more coal, a large contributor to air pollution and to greenhouse gas emissions that cause global warming. Many cities around the country have been forced to impose rolling blackouts or limit energy use. In Chengdu, the capital of Sichuan province, Several neighborhoods went without electricity for more than 10 hours a day. So, yeah, this is a... 
again, this is a logistical energy, you know, problem. And like, yeah, it's just, it's causing issues. And this is, of course, this is a record setting drought. Uh, they're saying uh, just the different uh, uh, temperatures that they, ca- they got was uh, in Chongqing, a sprawling metropolis in the southwest with around 20 million people, the temperature soared to 113 degrees. So this is like, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're setting records for temperatures. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, they had some wildfires too. So this is everywhere, bro. This is, uh, you know, there's no escape from this. And they're drying up rivers. Uh, again, they said that because some of these rivers, you know, they have ships that like just sail up the river and that's also uh, causing trade problems and logistic problems. So they have to use trucks now. So like the ships that could just like sail up to this like a uh, river port. Now they have to stay at the coast and then they have to have trucks move those uh, supplies, which of course is going to take, you know, it takes like almost 500 trucks for one like uh, ocean going vessel. So yeah, it's, uh, it's causing issues, causing disruptions. And then, uh, they also talked about how uh, this is, you know, of course, because of these energy blackouts in the heat. Now they can't, you know, use air conditioning. So some people were talking how uh, they have to uh, use ice pops and uh, drink ice drinks to stay cool because they have no air conditioning. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is causing disruptions. This is a record setting drought. And uh, this uh you know, and also, uh, it's going to cause, uh, you know, it's affecting agriculture. So it's going to ca- affect f- uh, food prices. Uh, let's see what here. Uh, the Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs and four other departments issued an emergency notice warning on Tuesday that the drought posed a severe threat to China's autumn harvest. China's cabinet on Wednesday approved a $1.5 billion, uh, $1.5 China's cabinet on Wednesday approved $1.5 billion for disaster relief and assistance to rice farmers and another $1.5 billion for overall farm subsidies. The government has urged local officials to seek out more water sources and allocate more electricity to support farmers and promote the planting of leafy vegetables, which are highly perishable in big cities. First, fire trucks have been used to Uh, spray water on fields and deliver water to pig farms so yeah it's a real crisis you know it's just so interesting how the water is just like again like it's going to turn like into dune where it's just like oh yes the water we the the water belongs to the tribe (laughs) it's just like that's how things are going to get man because like yeah man like and again we're going to see it here too even the u.s like there's going to be water problems and especially for the farmers and yeah, man. <laughs> so, oh, man, this is so bad. Uh, right. So, as I said, so the uh, reliance on hydroelectricity is uh, being affected. And so they have to go to coal. I mean, they're, they're doing coal mining to, to get the power to make up for it. Uh, yeah. However, they are saying that they are... You know, even though they are using the coal, they are still determined to reach renewable energy goals, you know, carbon emission caps. So it's more just like they have to do this for now 
to build up to get into more cleaner renewable sources. But it's just the the coal at the moment is what they have because the water is too low. The water levels are too low. So that is uh, effectively what's happening happening there. And again, man, like everywhere, all these countries all over the place is these economic woes and uh, this just, it's like a, it, it piles up. It keeps piling and piling. And so it's just like, you know, it, it's a matter of time before whichever country like just snaps. And it's just like, it's like a siege almost. Because, of course, we're having this adversarial relationship with Russia and China. Um, but yeah, they're going to be affected also by these climate conditions. And who knows? It's just, uh, it's, yeah, it's a battle, <laughs> right? So, yeah, man, that's uh, what's happening. And I certainly, uh, I mean, that's really what I wanted to talk about for this episode. And, uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> I know I kind of opened up really with uh, really somber. It's just like, it's, you know, it's a lot. Now, I want to be up front about my situation because there's a lot of difficulty in my life. And of course, you know, anytime you're vulnerable and you're open about some issues and difficulties that you're doing, again, as I said, like, I have this job, but of course, because of some technical uh, hurdle that I probably won't be able to overcome, now I'm back at square one. And again, as I said, I've been without, I've been out of work for three months because I thought I had this position like lined up and then now it's out the window and I'm back to where I started. People are just going to use that against you because you're in a vulnerable position because you're, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best. I'm literally doing everything that I'm told to do and it's clearly not paying off. But of course, because, you know, it's just easy to look at me because I'm such an easy target. Oh, well, clearly it's your fault. Not that I'm saying I've never made mistakes. Of course, I'm human, okay? But God damn it, man. What crime did I commit that I have to live like this? That like who? What did I do? What did I do? Because I work. I stay out of trouble. I value my education. I study, you know. God damn it, man. I need a break. Holy shit. Yeah, what a surprise when you overwork somebody and constantly have them living in a state of crisis. Uh, the, they, they, they got some quirks. They got some issues. Wow, what a surprise. <laughs> I had this remote job and now because of the, their equipment, I guess, because it, it just blocks my internet. I think it's like an antivirus thing. But I don't know how to overcome that. And then I call support and they're just like, well, you need a new Ethernet cable. I'm just like, I don't like that's not going to do anything. And I don't know, man. It's just depressing. It really is depressing. I just don't. How, how do. Again, it's just like anything to just like. To, to hate on the poor and the disaffected because. You know that that's what America is about. It's just hating the other, hating the the those that you don't understand, because clearly they're bad. Okay, and if you're, you're poor, that was you, 
and nobody owes you anything. But it's just like, I just want to live, bro. I just want to, I, I want a job. Give me a fucking job. Holy shit. Like, I just did some more applications today, and I'm just going to sit in limbo waiting Lord knows how long just to have them say, oh, well, we can look through your resume, and we're just going to have to decline your application. Wow, man. And I have to go to some retail or restaurant job where I'm going to put my body on the line and my health now with these fucking you know, COVID infections because that's where people get sick now is at work. I, I got to I got to put my body on the line again like that's why i wanted to have a remote job so that way i wouldn't have to be on my feet constantly for eight hours and like grind myself to the bone but then again like i was doing some of this uh training stuff and it's like you're you're sitting for eight hours and it's like yeah you can get injuries from that too just from a bad posture or you know the way you like rest your wrist it's ridiculous man it's soul sucking the every the life essence out of you just grinding you down and then for what for what because it was only like a 17 dollar position i'm like bro you can't even like live comfortably off 20 dollars now that's how fucked everything is and again man i'm just like okay people again will, will say that all i do is complain in this program but what the fuck man I am doing what I can. I'm doing what I can. And there's there's only so much that you can put somebody through. That's why, yeah, the the what the reason why I'm so radical now, you know, I'm a radical leftist now, is because I did exactly as I was told to do, and it's clearly not paying off. And of course it's an issue, oh no, cause see, because you spend so much, bro. You got me working all this fucking hours grinding myself to a bone and then I got to live like a Spartan. I can never like enjoy anything. I got to like sit and then of course if I sit around and just I guess play my games, right? Cuz that's the only thing I can do without spending money. Now, oh, no, all you do is sit around and play games, get a fucking girlfriend. It's like, "Bro, you just want to yell at people." I'm talking like <laughs> of course I'm talking like about my father or some other fucking dickhead in my life. It's just like you know, there are people who can help me but they don't want to. They just don't want to because, of course, oh, no, see, because when I was your age, because I, I had to do this and that. And that's why you are fucking pussy and you got to fucking uh, fight for your life because I don't want to do anything for you because now oh, it's just God damn it, man. I just hate everything right now. Again, I feel like crying. Like, I just I just need a break, man. I really do. Because <laughs> I, I all this work, I'm, I'm just like. If I lose this job now, I'm going to have to go to my mom again because that's the only person I can rely on because I'm trying to fucking get a job, which, of course, always falls through. And then it's just like, of course, people are going to say, oh, no, because you don't have. I'm, I got to I got to wrap this up. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just asking, you know, because. Again, the patron is there. And I have the just one dollar. That's it. Just one dollar. Okay, I have some supporters. I have two supporters. So I'm thankful for them. But I don't know what else I have to do to get more engagement. Like I have over six thousand followers on Twitter, but it's like I don't know what I have to do to get their attention. It's like why like why do I have six thousand followers and then they don't engage with me? Even though I post pretty regularly and I, I put out content, uh you know, I 
yeah, it's just, and then like I see other people online doing what I do. Of course, they're be more successful with it. Like they they'll put out a tweet like, "Oh, here's my cash up." You know, I'm still looking for work, and then they get all kinds of support. But then when I do it, it's like barely a drop. I don't know, man. I just I I don't know. I it's just again like I I, I try. I'm trying. Like I got the job. And then something that I can't control is preventing me from moving forward. And I'm going to lose everything. And I can't do it, man. I can't lose all of this. Because, again, my mother's health is failing. And I constantly, like, this is the thing that's in the back of my mind. I don't like asking for her help, but I don't know where else to go. Because I'm trying to work and nothing is working. I apply. It's not like before you just walk in and you can like, oh, yeah, you can come on Monday. It's like it's like this whole fucking convoluted process. And then these companies still want to complain that nobody wants to work. But then they make this onboarding and recruitment phase like the most soul sucking, uh, like dehumanizing experience. Because a lot of these jobs and these companies, what they do now is like they put you through this grueling process to just like it's like submission. It's like a hazing phase almost. They 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 want you to completely just like submit to the company. Yo, it's about the company. I don't know, man. I I feel like I'm gonna lose this job, um, because I can't connect. Cause like I have to connect to this computer. And it's like a VPN, and I guess the VPN is blocking my internet. Like, and it has to be an Ethernet connection too. I can't I can't use Wi-Fi. <laughs> Again, man, I'm trying. I'm trying. I really am. It's just... It's, it's too much. It's too much, man. You kid. I am so sad. It's just so sad what I have to live with. I don't mean to be so depressing. It's just... Again, people... I, I feel like people hate me. It's just like... What the fuck, man? What did I do? What did I do that was so terrible that I have to live like this? Yeah, no, that's the lesson. I'm disposable, right? I'm just a throwaway piece of meat, right? <laughs> Whatever. But I have this pod- podcast at least, and I can say my piece, and that's the end of it. <sighs> but thank you at least for those who at least listen to me. You know, I, you know, I just, I do this show because I don't know what else to do. You know, it's just, I got to scream into the ether somehow, but, you know, somebody's going to listen. So, thank, you know, thank you at least for uh, those that are making it this far and hearing what I have to say. So I'm just going to wrap it up because I'm just, again, you know, this. I'm at my wits end. I don't even know what's going to happen now because I'm going to lose this job and I got to apply again. And then I'm going to I'm going to have people fucking yelling at me. It's always the yelling and always the bickering and the disrespect and the fucking stink eye. And it's just like, wow, man. No, but then watch. Watch if I finally get a good break. Oh, man, all these people are going to be patting me on the back. Oh, I'm so proud of you. I was always there for, like, fuck you. 
anyway that's the episode so thanks for tuning in and uh hopefully i have better news on uh, the next recording so who knows but thank you all and hang in there